0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Back of the Nest, the Palace Years, where we'll be covering our first year in the Premier League, the 13-14 season.
1: Back of the Nest, the Palace Years.
0: So, yeah, we've already made it to uh, halfway through the uh, the first season or perhaps the only season of the uh, Back of the of Palace years. Uh, if you haven't listened to any of the others so far, they're all available on our feed or they will be up on our website if they're not up there now. And we're covering every season from the administration season, um, looking back over 10 years of fun times at Palace. So we're going to look at the first season in the Premier League, and joined uh, joining me are Chris Hamblin. Hello. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm good. I feel like I've only just finished recording another episode of Back of the Nest of
0: Palaces. Well, listeners wouldn't wouldn't know that, would they? Uh, Patrick, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. How are you, Mike? I am delectable. (laughs) And Comrade Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, brother. And you? Yeah, I cannot fault my life right now. So, uh, let us look back fondly at a season that was uh, very bad for our general health. Uh, Probably involved a couple of heart attacks for the majority of Palace fans. Um, It was a season where we ended up breaking all sorts of records, uh, by having terrible starts um, in the Premier League, but not to worry because we ended up breaking those again four or five years later. Uh, so basically, we had uh, Ollie in charge. We'd just we'd won the playoffs. Uh, if you it's spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to the last episode, Kevin Phillips knocked us into the Premier League with a penalty. Um, it was all beautiful; everything was great, and then. We ended up with three points after the first 10 games of this season. So, let's talk our way through it. Um, we, let's let's talk about the transfers first, shall we? So, transfers, there are a lot of them. So, in fairness to, say, Fulham in the 18-19 season or Villa uh, this season in the 19-20 season, um, teams that come up, they tend to sign quite a lot of players. And in the 13-14 season, we certainly did. So, let's go through them. Stephen Dobby uh, from Brighton. Mm. White Gale from Peterborough United. Jerome Thomas, free agent. Jose Capania from Sevilla. Uh, Elliot Grandin from Blackpool. Shamak from Arsenal. And we're going to go over these in a minute. We're going to reminisce. Neil Alexander from Rangers. Florian Morange from Bordeaux, Jimmy Kebe from Reading, Jack Hunt from Huddersfield, Mariapa from Reading, Barry Bannon from Villa, beautiful, Guardiola from Forest, Scott Dunn from Blackburn Rovers, Wayne Hennessy from Wolves, Joe Ledley from Celtic, Jason Punchen from Southampton. So, Hambo, talk us through your memories of those signings all I mean, come to mind? I mean, where do you start?
1: There's so much in there. There's so much richness in there.
0: What, whatever and, whatever takes your fancy.
1: I mean, look, let's start with Stephen Dobby. The the, the signing we had to make contractually <laughs> because we had loaned him off of Brighton for the previous season. Um, and uh, Stephen Dobby, one of the greatest pre-season players out there. Um, however, didn't do an awful lot for us, but um, you know, went on to amazing things north of the border later in his career. But uh, yeah, that was a signing for half a million quid that we actually contractually had to do. But I think logically, I, I don't think that was made with a view to we're going up. That was made with a view to we want Stephen Dobby for the, for the championship. Did, did he
0: actually? Did he actually play for us that season?
1: I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure. I don't even, I don't think so. I I know we ended up, um, didn't we? I mean, we loaned him out to all sorts of people at a later date. I'm not sure this season we did or not, but he ended up going on loan to like Fleetwood or something, but, um, but he didn't, yeah, he didn't really make an impact for us, but I said, I can forgive that signing, Mike, because that signing was something we had to do. Uh, Dwight Gale will be one to, to to debate and I'll leave that for for the rest of the guys. Jerome Thomas I'd forgotten. I mean, that was if you talk about signing injury prone players, that was the one. You know, but a lot of promise as a I think he started at Arsenal, if I'm right in saying. Uh, but we signed him after a long spell of injuries, and he continued to have a long spell of injuries for two years, um, playing a handful of games.
0: Well I know, know he's a Pompey player. I remember I remember going down to Pompey and seeing him play. Um what, was he an Arsenal player I think so originally yeah 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 you can, you can have a look while
1: I while I bring up the next one okay. Jose Compania well so we all got excited didn't we Jose Compania um former Spain under 21 captain um one of Sevilla's youngest players uh, to play in their first team I believe um we got excited he's got an exotic name he's from Spain they were really good at the time still not bad now um you know everything was in place wasn't it but for some reason he only cost 1.7 million pounds with all that reputation and didn't settle unfortunately and we ended up uh, getting rid fairly quickly but um promised a lot and I think probably my favorite moment was when he appeared in a video that FYP as Jim Daly did um for about five seconds and I think that was his biggest contribution to to Crystal Palace unfortunately
0: I mean, he, he is still, uh, according to Wikipedia, he's still a young man now. He's been playing Levant for the last four seasons, played a hundred times. So, fair play to him. Um, yeah, so, looking up Jerome Thomas, uh, he actually only really played for Charlton and West, West Brom other than Portsmouth. Um and ended his career at Port Vale. So um, he was at Arsenal, but never played for them. Um,
1: Oh, there you go. I mean, Grandin was one that was a panic signing, as a lot of these were. I think we called it, um, when we referred back to it as a club, we called it the scattergun approach, where we just signed as many bodies as we possibly could. Um, So, again, I'm conscious that other people want to chime in, but, I mean, Grandin was a waste of space. I'm going to skip Schemach so we can all wax lyrical shortly. Neil Alexander, backup goalkeeper, were he? Florian Marange, got to tell that story, haven't we? Uh, he was a player, so at the time, bearing in, there, there is context for this, and it's something we probably still suffer with as a club, club today, right? Scouting-wise, you know, we were a club that had just come off, not long been out of administration, had lost a load of people. There was no Premier League scouting network there what it was generally speaking was a guy with a database i don't know if it was football manager's database or not but it was a it was a database um, and we wanted a fast english speaking uh, french player um, and this was the guy who was i'm not saying we were ta- necessarily targeting a french player specifically but we we were looking in france for good value we lo- we wanted a fast defender because holloway was really concerned about the lack of pace uh, um, for the premier league in the squad and what we signed was a player whose agent said, yeah, he speaks fluent English. It was a player who didn't speak a word of English and was a slow centre-back rather than a left-back that we thought we'd signed.
2: Um,
0: good times. Good. He good went times. on to play precisely
2: no No, hold on. Didn't he so played the cup game. Incorrect. There. He definitely <laughs> played against Bristol City. I remember that. <laughs> what yeah. a disaster that was. Bristol My City. My goodness. Bristol I mean, City. just, just getting to the uh, <laughs> transfer, just kind of going back and forth. A lot of the, you just guys sent mention it. A lot of those signings were basically the scat gun approach. On on paper, you think of getting a Jerome Thomas, a Jimmy Kebe, we need the wide players. But what an absolute disaster this transfer window ended up being. I mean, Dwight Gale aside, I can't think of a I mean, I like the Campania signing because I fell in love with the name. Sevilla attacking midfielder from Spain on twenty-one international. Gotta be gotta be just brilliant. And it was that that just did not work out. Um, uh, Jack Hunt, signed from Huddersfield, thinking, "Ah, oh, you know, decent player, you know, young, fullback, guy gets injured, doesn't end up playing for us more than a couple of matches. It was just, it was disastrous. But when, if you want to turn to the second half of that transfer window, it couldn't have been any better. Really chalk and cheese. Brilliant. I mean, you're looking at <laughs> Scott Dan, <laughs> Wayne Hennessy, uh, Joe Ledley, Jason Punchin. Cam Jam, Cameron Jerome, Tom Ince. I mean, honestly, as bad as that beginning transfer window is, and it probably was the same person, you got to give credit. Well, actually, it wasn't. We had a new manager, right? It was got to give credit to the second half. It was absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, I think we got some players in there as well. I mean, you mentioned Dwight Gale was one that um, was a decent signing. We certainly made money off the back of it in the end, and he made some... Some important. We had some important moments in a Palace shirt, but um, there's. I mean, I'm gonna say. I want to say about Jimmy Kebbe as well. That is the danger of having no scouting network and signing a player that played well <laughs> against you in a game you remember. <laughs> you go, oh, Jimmy Kebbe tore us apart a season a bit ago. Yeah, yeah. He was a poker player by then, wasn't really interested in football and that's why yes. we never saw him. So, um, yeah. But there was a couple of other ones as well that, that, that sort of sneaking under the radar. So Appa was criminally underused, very good player. Um, and obviously Spence was still playing regularly in the 18-19 season for Watford, doing very, very well. Uh, very decent player, very good in, in, uh, in the dressing room. Uh, Barry Bannon was, you know, didn't, never really cemented a place in the team on a too regular a basis but was a very talented footballer and made good contributions never really quite worked out for Guadiora but one thing I will say about him is of all the sort of first team players I've seen play reserve football (laughs) he was the one who actually cared was actually playing it like he was trying to win his place back in the side Um, he was absolutely outrageous in in one of the reserve games I watched that year Um, just quite clearly and, and I think, but for an injury, again, I think playing against Watford, he got clattered by Ben Foster. By and actually,
0: and he, he went on um, to do well at Watford. So, I mean, he he has some skill.
1: But let's get, let's get Chris in, shall we? I've just noticed we haven't talked to him.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the other thing that I think is worth flagging up is that we did actually loan a couple of players in the summer who then went on to um, sign permanently in the January. So one of those was Jason Punchin, who um, was converted from a loan into a permanent signing. And obviously what a signing that was in terms of um, later on. Um, And I mean, the other, the other one is Cameron Jerome who did a job for us. You know, we've, we've needed a back to goal striker. I'm sure we're about to talk about a number of other strikers and, you know, their roles, uh, those were both important signings if you think back to that season um, in terms of the shape of the team and and the goals that they scored and that they created.
0: And we'll quickly talk about who went out that season as well. So, Jermaine Easter departed for Millwall, um, which is not advisable. Uh, Moritz... Maritz over to Bolton uh, Alex Mara who we talked about in, in uh, the 11 12 episode. So yeah, I mean it it happens. You, you, you go up into the Premier League, you tend to do this sort of scattergun approach um to try and more more strengthen your squad than strengthen your starting 11. Um but it's fair to say that we all know it would be a tough old tough old ask um in the Premier League. So Let's talk through the first game of the season at Spurs. Uh, sorry, at, at home to Spurs, because I remember it well and it was a thoroughly depressing game. Chris?
1: Yeah, I, I've I got a strong memory of that as well. And it was straight away, it was a kind of eye-opener to what it's going to be like being the the small club in the Premier League who's just got promoted. Um because we didn't actually play particularly badly against Spurs, but what happened was uh, a handball was given for Dean, against Dean Moxie, which was completely unjust. I mean, it hit his hand, but he was sliding. It's one of those where you see a player slides in a certain way. You don't slide with your arms tucked in <laughs> against, your, against your side. You have, you have an arm in the air as you slide, and uh, the ball was kicked onto his hand, and... Um, and I think that was the turning point in that game, and it really kind of just set the tone for me um and yeah it was a it was a bitter pill to swallow for a first. yeah it ball. set
0: the tone for me as well i mean i was I was proper excited um and then soldado slotted the goal away and and you knew that it would be a tough season um probably in the same way as we inflicted that two 0 um defeat to Fulham. Uh, at Fulham back in last season, um, it, it just it just felt like y- you suddenly knew that any mistake would would w- would result in you uh, losing the game. Um, and for for a fair while of the season after that, that's what stuck in my head. Like y- we we just felt like we were slightly not ready for the kind of cheeky tricks that Premier League mainstays had. That that game really hurt.
2: Yeah, um for that game though, I, I what I remember sticking out is that they just sold Gareth Bale. So there were five new players that they brought in. And we talk about our scattergun mm. a scatter, scatter gun approach that we use, but look what they did that I mean so Soldado scored the goal, LaMella came in in that transfer, so did that Belgian midfielder, um, who just got sold by Spurs. Then came in. I mean, they brought in some absolute quality players and we brought in, you know, Jimmy Kebe. Jerome Thomas so there was a huge gap in in it so I mean I I I remember that game and I remember Chris I'm like you I didn't think that was a fair penalty in today's game probably would be called a penalty anyway but the gap in the transfer dealings between us and Tottenham I wasn't that upset we only lost when we lost one It was a home game so I wasn't that upset but I did like Mike I did kind of think you know what it could be a tough season but I didn't think it would be a disaster based on that one result.
0: I think that's half the reason that I was stressing Um, because you looked at who we'd brought in um, and it it didn't feel like we'd massively strengthened from what we had the season before. Um, And obviously, Oli found it pretty tough, um, tough enough to end up losing his job.
1: Yeah, I can remember the the other really strong feeling going into that first game was that we all couldn't quite believe... And there's some real irony in this, but we couldn't quite believe that we were starting a Premier League season <laughs> with Aaron Wilbraham up front. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed, but it's sort of become a theme where <laughs> we tend to start Premier League seasons without. I was going to say uh, the or, the rumours yeah.
0: that we'd lose Benteke meant that next season might just be Wickham. So I mean, it's not it's not developed enormously since then, has it? And so, yeah, let's get to uh, the first points that Palace got that season and the only points they got for a fair while. Uh, home win against Sunderland 3-1. Um, so we went 2-1 up with a Dwight Gale goal, um, which is what I remember. Uh, but then let's talk about Stuart O'Keefe's goal, Patrick.
2: Absolute worldie, Mike. Um, never been a huge O'Keefe fan until... It, two-
0: it was right. It was all right.
2: (laughs) Until both the (laughs) Wembley final and then that game just made him a cult hero. It was a brilliant goal. I mean, I had to be one of the goals of that month for sure. On the side of the crossbar, I mean, just a brilliant goal. And this is a person that didn't score a lot of goals. So I thought it was a brilliant goal for him. And it was a, you know, much needed win at the time.
1: Yeah, I'm going to jump. It was, I mean, the fact it was a first-time strike as well with his weaker foot. Um, it was just glorious, glorious to be at Sellhurst Park, see our first win of the season, and to see a a, a player who was all, yeah, as you say, Patrick was already starting to become a bit of a cult hero. Just, um, just seal the victory against the evil Paolo Di Canio, Sunderland. And I
3: mean, when Palace score a goal, you know, obviously you always celebrate anyway. But when a defensive midfielder scores a goal like that. Yeah, I mean, I remember laughing as well as jumping up and down. It was a very funny moment as well as brilliant. So, yeah, really special.
0: I I mean, soon after that, um, it got back to normal. And I remember very vividly KG sending off uh, Man United beating us 2-0. And, yeah, I, I don't know if anyone wants to relay their stories on that.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd travelled all the way up to Old Trafford for that. We were actually back to London. We were singing um, during the game, but um, I mean, so the, the issue with that with that particular event was we, we'd held we'd held United to a very very tight nil nil. We're coming up to half time. It's looking really really positive, and then um, K G puts in what, in my opinion, is a perfectly legitimate tackle. Um, Others may disagree on that, but um, puts in a perfectly legitimate tackle. Ashley Young um, does an Ashley Young special. Um, You know, I mean, the judges would have given it 10. Such a dive. Um, It's way outside the box. And not only does KG get sent off, but it's a penalty as well. And it it was absolutely outrageous. I mean, I was spitting blood at the time. And, I mean, I've never forgiven Ashley Young for that. And I've always... um, yeah, wished him harm, frankly, ever since. But um, yeah, it, that was such a classic Premier League moment. And again, I mean, it just cemented the same kind of feeling as the penalty that Soldado slotted away on the first game. You just think, we're not going to get a fair crack of the whip here, are we?
1: It was a, it was a John Moss special from my memory. Yeah. Um... One of the sort of first times, obviously, back in the Premier League to, and and it actually, I'm not going to say too much, (laughs) I'll get myself into trouble, but it actually sparked a conversation where someone directed me to a write up of um, games that John Moss had refereed um, and noticing patterns and all that kind of stuff. Look, I'm not, you know, conspiracy theories can happen, coincidences happen. I'm not accusing Jonathan Moss of anything, but what I'm saying is that it was that bad. Chris is absolutely right. Where, you know, we'd actually put in a decent performance, but it must be so demoralising for the players as, as much as the fans to, for that to happen. It's just come off the back of our first win. You're trying to get a bit of momentum. You go away to to Man United, who were you know good team back then, and um, yeah, and then that that happens to us, and you just think, yeah, some something's not right here. Um, and as I'm sure we'll get into, we went on a, a horrible run of results after that.
0: We certainly did, uh, and I think the one game that I I, I really wanted to chat about, um, and I think it was looking towards the death knell of Ollie's relationship with Palace was when we lost four one at home to Fulham, um, and we were we were ahead in that game as well. Um, that's the one that sticks in my head is one that that that, that really hurt, um, and Steve Sidwell's involvement particularly. Um,
1: yeah, that that was. Um... That was Ian Holloway's last game. And the the clearest memory I have of that is of the fans turning on him at the end of the match and, you know, all pretty much baying for blood right at the end. And you just knew that it had broken then. Um, but it was, we weren't playing, Fulham weren't particularly good, not even on the day, not even though they won 4 1. It was just one of those games where everything just went against us, despite, as you say, taking the lead. But it's the Casemiro goal, isn't it? I think it was goal of the season. Where it,
0: it, it, it was an absolute it blinder. Yeah, yeah. To be fair,
1: looped up and gone over to Perona. I mean, it's like you. And you, you, you're thinking, you know, again, we're talking about games where we're saying "why us?" When we're talking about refereeing decisions and um, you know all that kind of stuff, but that was a very much a "why us?" moment as well. Ridiculous that we conceded that.
2: Yeah, very frustrating. Uh it was Monday night game, so they uh, Sky Sports well not Sky Sports now, but Sky Sports fee was over here and NBC Sports had the game and take lead to Mabiapa's header and you know uh, and then you know they come back and what bothered me most, Chris, you mentioned before was the reaction of the fans. I, I just remember the the surgeon running towards the you know, you could see it on TV, uh, you know, at the end of the game surging and screaming. I think actually it happened at halftime they started doing it and then happened again at the end of the game. At Holloway, I thought that was—I thought that was horrible. I mean, obviously, we're in—we're in the midst of a terrible, terrible run. But I always knew that. I always know that. Whenever the fans turn against you in that way, it's over for you. And I've seen it happen twice for Palace. And uh, once that happens, it happened to Warnock too. Once it happens, it's over. And I knew after that game, there was no way Holloway was coming back. It was just terrible.
1: Yeah, it was really—it was horrible to witness as well because. Now, whatever you think of Ian Holloway as a manager, he was obviously, he's a very decent guy. He was very, very honest and open. And I can remember his interview after the game. And obviously he was saying things like, you know, we'll we'll be able to turn it around. We've got to believe in ourselves and all that sort of stuff. But I vividly remember just the look in his eyes and it it was just, it was over, it it was gone. And obviously we found out later on that he he attempted to resign after the game uh, and was told to think about it and, then by the time he got back to Steve Parish, it was it was kind of too late, and I believe he subsequently got on to say that he actually had changed his mind and was going to keep going. Um, but at that point, Steve Parish was kind of well, decisions been made, off you go.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it was sort of untenable from then on. Um, um, there was a, a a month period before uh, Pulis took over, um, and. We still had two more defeats uh, against Arsenal and West Brom uh, before, uh, before a nil 0 draw against Everton. But let's skip to uh, Hull City against Palace and Palace's second win of the season, which I think gave me personally some hope that we would be able to get out of things. Anyone remember that game? Yeah, I was
1: there. Got really, again, vivid memories of that because we were down to 10 men for most of it, but still managed to pull out the win. We'd all heard on the way traveling up there um, through, the again, the fog of alcohol. But um, that we'd heard that Pulis was going to be in the crowd because, obviously, you remember the whole drama about Willie Won't He Join Us. He turned us down originally, despite the fact that Ollie had recommended him. Um, but we finally got to that point where, yes, he was going to take over. And you know, be our saviour, never been relegated, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I just remember the the clear change in how the palace were play how the palace what's happened to me? I never say that. How palace were playing on the day, it was it was obvious that the players were conscious that there was, you know, this manager with a, a reputation for being a you know a, a tough taskmaster who was gonna sort of whip them into shape. Um and you could tell that they were really playing for their futures at that point. And I think in a way, that kind of sums up some of the strength of the appointment because just by the by the fact it was Tony Pulis, the, you know the players lifted the game already, and I think you know he came in and saw he had a, a half decent squad to work with. But as we talked about in the transfer stuff, it wasn't until January came around and we made those key signings that things really started to turn.
0: In fairness to him, over um, December. There was a couple of victories as well. Uh, West Ham at home, Cardiff at home, um, and Cardiff would become whipping boys for Palace that season. Um, you know that that was a, that was a big step up because um, you're talking about a team that had got to the start of November with three points, and you know they set new records um, because no team had survived with that few points after ten games and i'm not even sure they still have since um i think a couple of years ago uh, after the seven game uh defeat start we have i think we had four points after yeah. 10 games so you know that that was a record so um i mean that seriously poor and people had us absolutely nailed on um for going down so you're t- you're talking about four wins um by the end uh, by the end of uh that little that little period, and we'd actually had five wins by the end of the year. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. That fifth win um, on Boxing Day against Villa away really—that's uh, the one game that sticks in my head that season um, because we were heading towards another nil nil, and I was thinking it was going to be um, perhaps a one nil defeat with a late with a late goal conceded. Uh, that was a really special game. So talk us through it, gents.
2: Well, I want to take a step back a little bit because um, the game you mentioned before, I vividly remember the performances by Mehran Shamak in those games, West Ham and Cardiff. And I think that, um, you know, we talked about the signings before. You know, he came from Arsenal, has a reputation playing for big clubs and um, he wasn't a prolific goal scorer, but he scored some really important goals that season. And what I know is about what Pulis came in. Pulis gave us this really steadfast defensive uh, thing that we really needed to have. And then you, all you needed to get was, you know, a one a one goal and you could win a match. So Shamak was huge. His link up play was great and some of his finishing was was immaculate. And then you talk about that game, the Villa game. I just remember one thing is uh, <laughs> Dwight Gale. And also that wonderful uh, evil sash we wore that for that game. I said that in my mind. But what a brilliant, brilliant goal by Gale. And uh, I, what I do remember from the goal, which I thought was a great goal, was he's running. And then I can't, it might have been Jednak pulls him to run over to the, to our fans to kind of show his support. I mean, just to, just just I mean Boxing Day victories don't come very often, but that that was such a very big big match for us that season.
1: Yeah, um, I I I'll jump quickly back to to Sweet Marouanne because he was just oh my <laughs> god, uh, what a player! And I I remember I I thought I'd get a lot more stick for saying it at the time, but on, on a show we were doing at the time. I said seriously. In terms of technical ability, he's he's the best we'd had since Lombardo. He was absolutely outrageous. Um, the skill that guy had, and he was mocked, like widely mocked at Arsenal, and we were we were mocked for signing him. And I I remember it's the only time I've ever tweeted. Um, Gary Lineker and I tweeted to call him a twat because <laughs> because he mocked uh, Shemak for scoring and I just wasn't I wasn't having it. It was just like you're believing the, the ridiculous rubbish that's written about him. We watch him every week. He's he's brilliant, um, real Palace hero. And I kind of wish that we'd uh, we'd had him out a little bit longer and um, you know at, at perhaps a little bit earlier in his career because he I mean he had a huge reputation when he joined Arsenal from Bordeaux. Um, but a proper footballer, and um, yeah, one I, I look back on fondly. I was I was at the, this Boxing Day game, um, and one thing that you didn't mention, Mike, that I'm going to say is just how terrible a game of football it was. Up until Dwight Gale scored, it was awful, it was awful an awful absolutely
0: bollocks game of football. Yeah,
1: I was I was struggling to stay awake. I did have a huge hangover. Um, I'd stayed up in um, a whole bunch of us had stayed up in Northampton with uh, Lucy White, formerly of this this parish and um, we'd gone out to uh to this pub near where she lives and just absolutely drank them out of shots I can yeah struggle to to remember getting home and all that kind of stuff but but at the game I'm nursing this terrible hangover watching this awful game of football and then Dwight Gale just snapped me right out of it and just made made my end of year because it was it was out of nothing he just and the way he actually cut in and fired the shot away and we've been talking about it on the show he we were, people were kind of expecting this guy to keep hairing around like a like a Andy Johnson Mark II. But when you watched the, the videos of him scoring goals, it was all him running running onto the ball, running with the ball at defenders and, and getting shots away. And it was the first time I'd really seen him do that properly in a Palace shirt. And I had huge hopes for him at that point because terrific finisher. Unfortunately, his all round game wasn't quite up to it.
3: Just putting that Villa game into context. Um there and this is very much a comparative view looking back now um it's interesting when you when you reflect on the fact that we've been in the premier league for a number of years and now if um for example the club announces a uh, membership scheme that gives you access to watch games uh live on tv um or on you know on your tablet or whatever um people complain about having to pay for that um, when we first came into the Premier League, uh, there was a service called Palace Player, which some people may remember. Which was basically that um, if you paid, which I did, you could get a radio commentary of some of the games. Um, and yeah. if it was not on your local radio station, you were stuffed. You couldn't get it unless you did it through the club. Um, yeah, if it wasn't
0: and- on, if you weren't local enough to get twelve seventy eight or a.m., then you'd get Palace Player. Yeah. That's yeah. it. So, I don't think you need to be that old to remember that, hopefully. Maybe. Well no,
3: I didn't yeah, I didn't want to tie it too closely to when we may or may not be recording this in terms of
2: yeah, okay.
3: um so yeah, that's one bit of context. But I mean the the other thing is that I mean lots you know, obviously lots of us now go to a lot of games, um, including away games, and that's that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. But Boxing Day games have always been the bane of my life because you know if you're if you're visiting family and you don't drive which i don't then you're stuck so not only could i not go to the game um i had to sit and listen to it on palace player but at least i mean that goal the the amazing release of that even listening to it on the radio you know it was i still i had to wait for match of the day but it was special really really special and m- gave us hope that you know of what was going to come in the rest of that season in terms of are we going to survive
0: That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is the K giving us hope because. That was the first game since the very start of the season um, where we'd actually managed to climb out of the relegation zone and it wasn't too much longer in the season. We'd end up back in it again. Um, And if you think back two months before that, it didn't seem like we'd ever get out of it. So to end up 17th after that game was huge and I think that's why it sticks in the memory more than anything else. Um, And in fact, we didn't go on to win any of the three next games. They were tough games. Man City away, Spurs away, and then Norwich at home, which we got a draw from. Um, A couple of wins, Stoke and Hull at home. Um, And then on to a a 3-1 win against West Brom um, on the 8th of February. Um, So by that point, we'd had these new signings in, um, of which we talked about. So players that ended up um, being stalwarts for a fair while, so yes, uh, I- I- in January we got Scott Dan, obviously still with the club, as we recalled. Same as Hennessy, Ledley went on to have a fine career with Palace, as did Punchon. Um, and uh, at, at that point things were looking fairly rosy, Patrick.
2: Yeah, uh, and the West Brom game you refer to was a bit of a watershed game for us because again, Ledley Ince made their debuts. Uh, both scored. Ince was brilliant in that game. Played really, really well, I thought. And um, we would you know, we 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 lost uh, Wilfred, so we're looking for you know a flair player. Uh, he'd been named, I believe, the year before the Championship Player of the Season. A lot of hype. There was a lot of going back and forth and getting him to sign. I remember <laughs> there was a lot of issues with him and uh with his father etc and all kind of stuff but good great signings again you know dan uh you mentioned uh, as the but that that whole journey window just again if you talk about giving us some belief that that west Brom win uh was a very solid win for us and it really i mean i, I am mean, the excitement of the crowd is a home game and a home win and ledley and it just just some really good things came out of the game and i think it helped us you know survive that year just because of that that win
1: I think just before that as well, you're right. That was hugely important. But just before that, we had a couple of home wins in a row against Stunk, Stoke. <laughs> Stoke? I don't know why I called them Stunk there. Um, Stoke and Hull, um, and it was Jason Punch who scored the winner in, in two one 1-0 wins. It goes back to what we were saying about, you know, you mentioned Patrick only needing the one goal uh, with a Tony pudis side because we were so well drilled, um, and that was when obviously we'd signed Punch on loan initially and then bought him later on. Um, and it, it goes back, you know, for a player that at times was, was maligned by some of the support, um, it, this he was so, so important to us as a signing and then in, in future years as well. And this was the very, very start of that. And um, again, ju- just as important as the signings of, of Ince and Ledley and Dan, who then really just took us to that next level.
2: No, Chris, a great point. I mean, again, I'm a huge Punchin fan, and again, having the width of Punchin because then he was playing out wide with, it was important. And again, I would I've stated many times before, without Jason Punching, we'd probably get relegated three of the seasons. Uh, he wasn't, he was, he was there because he was that important. And you're right, I forget those goals that he scored were huge. And again, because of the purest way of setting up and playing, uh, all we needed was a goal, and we weren't getting it out of our strikers because we mentioned before about the problems we had up front. But to get goals from midfield from the Ince, from a Paul Ince, sorry, a Tom Ince, sorry, Jason Punch was very huge that season.
0: Absolutely, um, and then, then we went on a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a dive. Uh, didn't get a win until the end of March, um, by which point we were teetering back down, just on the edge of relegation again. And I remember thinking, oh, we're done. Um, The the honeymoon period with Pulis is over. Um, So, 2-0 loss at home to Man United. 1-0 draw with Swansea. Um, A a loss to Southampton. A draw with Sunderland. And a loss to Newcastle. And at that point, we were still outside the relegation zone, but um, things were looking a bit grim. And then we went on what is possibly, in my memory... The finest run in the entire time we've been in the Premier League. So, talk talk me through your memories, gentlemen, of uh, wins against Chelsea, Cardiff, Villa, Everton, and West Ham.
1: <laughs> the, the Chelsea game was was the the strangest one, really. Um, everyone remembers it for the John Terry own goal and the subsequent chant that has gone on for quite a while. But it was such a gritty performance. It was, it was everything that you expect a Tony Pugh and his team to be. Um, but you know, as you say, we've been on this terrible run. We hadn't, we hadn't looked like doing anything. I don't think we think what what we scored. I think one goal in that in, in that awful. That's run. right, yeah, one. Um, and that, that was in the draw against Swansea. And we just again we weren't playing good sides. Sunderland nil nil. Sunderland were not a good side at the time. Newcastle weren't a great team either at the time. Uh, they had their own struggles against should have beaten Swansea and it was just yeah it was really really soul destroying and you I didn't give us any hope going into the Chelsea game but it absolutely turned I think it turned the supporters as much as it turned anything else now we'd we'd as a support base we we brought our enthusiasm on our loudness, and I'll never say diatitude from the previous season of promotion. We brought that into the Premier League and we were getting praised left, right and centre. But I vividly remember that sort of February, March period. You could just hear it in the crowd. There was the edge had been taken off. We were starting to get a little bit browbeaten. Beating Chelsea at Selhurst Park changed all of that. It was vital, absolutely vital. And, and going into the, the following game against Cardiff, um, Bunchen's second goal in that game was glorious. Very reminiscent of the Stuart O'Keefe strike, I would say, against Sunderland from earlier in the season. But I a lovely would say strike. that
0: um, Terry's own goal uh, was reminiscent of any fine goal. Um, and, and I think <laughs> other than the, the Villa game, um, and obviously the, the Liverpool game, um, that sticks in my head. Um, and I think it would probably stick in his head as something that he's still embarrassed about.
2: Yeah, the uh, the punching goal though—that's—is that the one when Shamak dummies through his legs and then he smashes it into the top corner? That's the same goal, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, just, yeah, I mean, just yeah. quite, again, it shows you the class of Shamak. Chris mentioned before, very underrated skill-wise. I mean, I think you're right. Technically, one of the best players we've ever had, but again, because he didn't score a ton of ton of goals, if you go back and look at it, the few goals that he did score were very very important. And that 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 move for that goal was brilliant. Remember Leddy scoring and then doing the old uh, patting his head on, on his head because again. He didn't want to celebrate against his old team, Cardiff. Um, just yeah, just, yeah. just some fantastic. And again, I, and it, towards the end of the season, this is when Pudis gets, you know, gets nominated for uh, manager of the season because of this run. Talking about five, five very important wins, and we get two draws at the end of the season to secure it. Obviously, Chris Bull being one of them, but just an incredible thing. I actually remember also very much so the 3-2 everything game. It was a midweek game, and uh, we get gamed over here. That game was on TV. And, uh, you know, Scott Dan scores. I believe Cameron Jerome scored. He did score in that game. Yeah. He hardly ever scored a goal. I mean, some, I mean, oh, it was just some fantastic. I mean, I mean, just a great run for Palace. That really was. And Mike points out, and three of those matches, by the way, were away wins, which is incredible. It really was. Yeah. So. great run for us. Well, you've, you've just, you've just, the memory
1: of Cameron Jerome scoring has just popped yeah. into my head. Because that, again, I was, in, I was in the away in the ever. And I was, again, really like, where I was, it was I was very close up that end of the pitch, uh, just to the side, and the kind of the angle we finished at just felt like I was right behind it. Um, I think we all went completely insane at that one. But I would also like to point out, before anybody else jumps in um, as well, that in that run of five victories that we had, so 1-0 against Chelsea, 3-0 against Cardiff, 1-0 against Villa, 3-2 against Everton, and 1-0 against West Ham, Jason punchin scored in the first four victories uh, and a total of, uh, no, sorry, Yeah, no, he got booked in that one. He scored. Sorry, he scored four goals in those five victories. Is what I was trying to say. Uh, Great player, five goals. Sorry, (laughs) I'll get I'll get it right in a minute.
3: And of course, that run culminates with us securing safety in that victory against West Ham, um, which was a magic moment. And I mean, everyone will have seen the um, iconic photo um, of the team um, giving their. salutes to the fans at that game it always rankles me that I'm slightly out of shot <laughs> at, the, at the back and side of that photo um but I mean that that in itself was a, a memorable game for a number of reasons um and a lot of the reasons I, I find to do with football that stick in the mind are not actually football related at all they're to do with the things that you do before and after and especially the banter with the fans and that was that was the game where there was the um, really arrogant West Ham fan who was game um and eventually um ended up one getting by us and then getting kicked out which was just fantastic. So so sweet.
0: I'd say that the one thing you can take from that particular run um is that we because of the fact that we beat Cardiff Villa and uh west ham home and away um you're talking about 18 points that season um and that and that's huge and and i i really doubt that in the entire six seasons or by the time you listen to this perhaps seven or eight seasons um we've been back in the premier league um i doubt that we've beaten three sides home and away um so they they were huge because they went sort of nearly half the way towards keeping us up that season. Um That's a, that's a big old ask. Not not many teams beat two, three sides home and away in a season. So that's that's a big old effort.
2: And Mike, I want to add one thing? Uh We've got an interesting stat. Also, I think every season we've beaten the defending champions for a year before. So that was the year that we beat Chelsea. Chelsea were the defending champions that year, so we've, we've gone on to do. I think we've done that the next three or four seasons. So it's you know, people talk about us beating big clubs, but that's one of the that's when we first started beating the defending champions and went on to that a few times beat Man City all, and all the and big so clubs thought, except
0: all. Man United, yeah. Uh, other than
2: exactly what <laughs> 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 happened, yeah. So, that not, doesn't matter.
0: so let's go on to probably the only reason we're doing this podcast, uh, the 5th of May 2014. Uh, against a side from the North West. And there were six goals in that game. So talk us through Palace 3, Liverpool 3.
1: I I always look forward to reminiscing about this one. And um, it's difficult to know what's more satisfying, the fact that we were already safe And we still put in that performance or the fact that it upsets so many Liverpool fans. And I think it's, well, you're talking in the past tense, but Um,
0: it's not stopped upsetting them. So
1: no, no, not at all. And look, they, you know, they were like, like they do, they were running Man City quite close at the time. And the thing is, they had to score a whole bunch of goals against us to stay in, in the race for the title, didn't they? So, them going, I think, um, so first of all it started with frustration. The smallest man on the pitch, Joe Allen, heading a ball in um, and obviously the, the Delaney own goal at the start of the second half uh, and then Suarez obviously scoring to put them 3-0 up um, with still with a fair amount to play and it was their reaction to those goals going in they're grabbing the ball out of the net, sprinting back just to, just to restart the game in, in their heads, we were beaten and they were going to go and stick a bunch more goals in and stay in the title race and I don't know just something something didn't feel it didn't feel over even though we were 3-0 down I never felt that I was you know we were in the half away and there were loads of Liverpool fans who got tickets in there including a couple in front of us and you know the abuse that they were getting made one of them leave but two two remained and I just hated the fact that they were there and celebrating that their team were winning and you know, I think the most satisfying thing was celebrating those goals with them, pre- like pretending we didn't know that they were Liverpool fans and sort of shake, shaking them about and all that kind of stuff. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, so, yeah, and then they they skulked off. But the Delaney goal, it was kind of funny because it was a bit of a consolation. But you know, and the fact it came off Glenn Johnson was was amusing as well. Uh, but it, it sort of at the time it looked like a glorious strike, but it was really obviously Murray coming off the bench, and and linking up with Gale so brilliantly, and and Gale was finishing, and everybody knows what it really what the the real memory. It's not the really the goals. It's not really even celebrating the goals. It was just the inevitability and the growing noise. I still to this day maintain I've never experienced Sellhurst Park that loud, and that that was at 3-2. At 3-2, it was insane. It, it couldn't go up. It couldn't even get any louder when we equalised, but we equalised purely because the whole entire home support and probably all the neutrals in the ground as well had decided that it was inevitable. It was going to happen, and, um, and the Liverpool players were just breaking. You just saw it in their faces. You saw it when you see the pictures from it. Brendan Rodgers on the touchline at 3-1 and 3-2 he's got fear in his eyes and the liverpool support have got fear in their eyes and the players are sort of looking at each other thinking well hang on we were about to score another three goals here and and talk this lot and what's happening what's happening and then obviously at the end you got suarez breaking down and gerard getting angry with the cameraman and oh, it was just so so satisfying i i just loved every minute of it
0: So there you go. Uh, Liverpool fans, if you ever ask again why Palace fans are so happy that they got one point against Liverpool, uh, and let's be honest, we've got three points against you plenty of times. Um, I think Hanbo's diatribe there for two minutes is enough for you to listen to. You'll understand why.
3: But if anyone hasn't seen the um, You're Not Famous Anymore YNFA um, video of that game, <laughs> with Jimmy Little <laughs> yeah. the polluted Scouse commentator yeah. um getting increasingly irate and saying it's oh yeah it's absolutely amazing and uh, i mean that has got me through some of the darkest times i've had over the last 5 years just just put that on it's
1: it's the it's the, cry, it's the crying yeah. voice he's
0: offside he was offside <laughs> Brilliant. Oh uh, go Google, Google it immediately everyone. It's well so worth it. So just watch. to get to the end of the season, um obviously that season because the Premier League was the most important thing, there was no run in any cup. Um and then the season ended on a bit of a sour note with us looking like we we're gonna get three points against Fulham and then stealing a draw from the uh, jaws of victory. Um, when they scored in like the ninety ninth minute or something like that, Um it, was anyone there for that game? Was anyone away at Fulham?
1: Uh, I think I was there. Was there a friend? A friend of mine broke her ankle on the way to the ground, and we were quite late uh, getting in. I think it was the pretty sure it was that game as well. Um, there was a boat there trip. Was. Wasn't there was. There's day, always that a boat day, trip. I think. There is now. Yeah, yeah, I think that was th- that was the first one I think, and um, yeah, yes, just I don't think we really cared about the game, um, but yeah, I was there. It was a so a bit of a non-event for us. Um, we were just celebrating. <laughs> we're still celebrating Crystal yeah. Ball, to be honest with
0: you. Yeah, well, uh, oh, fair enough. We ended up eleventh, um, which in fact is is our second highest finish, joint with with last season, um, and police. Pretty much did pull off a bit of a blinder. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much was was up to him and how much was up to the players. I mean, that's a difficult one, gents. Um, do, you, do you think Holloway Holloway's way of playing once that was changed and it went more defensive? Because we we started that season, it did look like we were going for the uh, the one nil victory every game. Um, I mean, I, I, it's hard to say if Poulis had left it with back with Keith Millen, I, I think he probably would have pulled off the same results. It's, oh, it's, to it's hard
1: It's hard not to let um, what we'll talk about in the next show um, colour your judgment, really. I know from a few people who spoke with Tony Pulis at the time that he was very proud of the job that he did. Um <laughs> as he should be
0: as well but,
1: but but saw it very much as the job that he did and I think that, that caused a little bit of uh, unrest shall we say um, but at the same time I, I do think he was exactly what we needed at the time I think Ian Holloway's way of playing we just we just couldn't get the players that would be successful at that way of playing in the Premier League and whether or not he or Keith Millen could have could have changed something and, and and achieved similar results. I'm not so sure. I look at those the you know I mentioned mentioned it on the show. I look at those two games, we won one nil in a row, and then the, the game against West Brom um after the, the January signings. I look at those games as very much Tony Pulis games and they were being able to play that way, being able to be that cynical, if we're honest. Um, was the reason we stayed up in the
0: Premier League on well, that season? I think. That, I mean, that it brings it up onto a point of of I, I was I was happy to see Holloway go because I knew that it wasn't going to work in the Premier League, but at the same time, I was absolutely gutted because I knew that he'd done something that you know made the club rise to an, a, another level. Um, but there's plenty of managers at least more recently than that that have, have managed to fall at the same hurdle and they 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 do well in the championship and then defensively it, it doesn't work in the Premier League and I I I don't you know, if I listen to Holloway and he's always on talk sport whatever, I've got no animosity towards him. Um he was a he was a decent manager. Um he knows what he's talking about. He chats some shit and he says some says some stuff you don't know what he's talking about. But at the same time, um, I, th- I don't think we'd have got up if Pulis had been, say, in charge at the end of last, the, the season before this. Um, but I think he was the ideal man to keep us up the
2: first season in the Premier League. Yeah, Mike, I think the Holloway-Pulis thing is very interesting. Um, like you've got on Emocity towards the Holloway. I actually like him. I love his um, personality, the way he talks about football. Listen no on talk talks about all the time. I uh, love the way he got us up. Uh love his enthusiasm on the sideline when we, when we would score goals, you know, in the playoff final and all, you know, even the semi-final match with Brighton's reaction, when he throws the water. I, I just, I just like him as a manager, but for us, um, he was not going to make it. And I think one of the reasons was, like i mentioned before, the fans turning against him at Fulham, it was over for him. I just don't think he had to come back, but I think mentally he was, he kind of checked out players didn't believe in him. And he was a little bit too attacking. Pudis comes in now. And as Chris said, he gives himself a lot of credit and he probably deserved some of it, but the football was pretty dire under, under Pulis. People want to revise and so great. It wasn't great football. I mean, even the, even the Chelsea match, it took an own goal by John Terry, and I remember that match pretty vividly. It wasn't great football to watch, but it was effective, and those five wins in a row proved it was effective, but um, his style of play, is, is uh, Pulis, that, that is, wasn't great, but we needed him, and I think that what the key to him in that season was that January window, bringing in Scott Dan, bringing in Joe Ledley, bringing in Thomas, was absolutely huge. And as Chris mentioned, the performance of Jason Punch in the second half of the season was absolutely f- brilliant for us. Throw in there, Murray came back from his injury and scored a penalty, I guess, against Swansea, and it was, it was a very big part of that Chris Dan Ball win. Gale came in in and out and did, did a job. Uh, we mentioned him before about... Um, Jerome Thomas, I mean, Cameron Jerome, was brilliant under Pulis. He was a perfect player for Pulis. He didn't score a lot of goals, but he ran his socks off. He chased down that last defender and played in a perfect striking style for Pulis' style Pulis of style, and everybody else did their role. So I think that under Holloway, we were we were on a hiding to nothing, and I think Pulis was the right man at the right time, but I would not want him to stay longer than he did, to, to be honest with you.
0: I, I, I doubt anyone would. Um, but I, being as, for me, the two things that stick in my head about that season are obviously Chris Bull, but also the Villa game. Um, the Villa game epitomises what pelis was about in that he was looking for a 0-0 and, and a 1-0 towards yeah. the end of the yeah. game. And um, when you're on the right side of it, it, it feels right. When you're on the wrong side of it, you know, when you're a Middlesbrough fan or whatever... Um, you know, a few months of pre-list is probably hell. I mean, there's it's, it's probably absolutely horrible, isn't it? Indeed. <laughs> but uh, yeah,
1: there you go. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think we've we pretty much said said it all in there, really. Other than that, you know, I think we got to the. If you, I do think, if you'd ask anybody at the end of that yeah. season. Did they still want Tony Pulis in charge of the following season? everybody would have said, Yeah, of course. Agree. Because of what we did. and The fact we, the fact we finished mid table with our first season back in the Premier League after that start, you know, it's, it's it's insane, really.
2: And Chris, I want to really add, you know, it's important to note that looking back in history, that was the first time we'd ever gone to the Premier League and not gone relegated this, this, this consecutive year. First time we ever stayed up. So that alone means that of course we would have kept Pulis, because I mean we just we just never ever stayed up and it was great to stay up that, that season and to kind of build on it.
0: Good point. Because I mean at the start of the season I was just thinking we're gonna have a season of playing big teams. I wasn't thinking any more than that. And you get greedy pretty quickly. Um so when you get to episode six of the Palace Years, you might or might not find that Pulis actually doesn't stick around. Um What but- <laughs> we'll see what happens people um, yeah, All right. but yeah thank you very much for listening to episode five of the palace years um make sure you check out back the nest.com all our socials back at the nest at back of the nest whatever on whatever platform that you're on uh, and we will be bringing you the 14-15 season very shortly uh In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to my panel. Thank you to Sam for producing. And we shall see you next time. of the Nest, the palace is.
1: It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.